Welcome to episode 17 of Coaster Redux. My name is Eric and I'm a lifelong roller coaster enthusiast, but up until lately I've been kind of a lazy one. For years I'd all but forgotten my roller coaster obsession from high school and college. Then during the pandemic I started following the coaster world again, and after last year's road trip, I'm now on a mission to ride as many new coasters as I can. This is the story of my revived roller coaster fandom, and I'm nearing the end of my second theme park road trip. I drove from Florida to Massachusetts to spend time with family and friends where I grew up, and I visited three parks on the ride north. After taking a five-day break from coasters in my hometown, I started the southbound run yesterday at Six Flags New England. It was an amazing day at my former home park where I got my first rides on Wicked Cyclone and also got back on Superman for the first time in 18 years. My next stop would be Knobel's Amusement Resort, a quirky family-owned traditional amusement park known for their three wooden roller coasters, an unparalleled collection of antique flat rides, and great food. It would be a stark contrast from the corporate theme parks I'd visited thus far on the trip. I know as a roller coaster fan that one of my favorite parts of the hobby is getting the reaction of somebody coming off a ride they've never ridden before. That's what I want to share with you. And with that, join me for my first rides on Phoenix, Twister, and so many other unusual attractions as we swing into Knobles on Coaster Redux. Gray skies and a light drizzle greeted me in the morning as I exited the Marriott Spring Hill in Fishkill, New York. I picked this hotel as a stopping point because it was right off Interstate 84 as I made my way from Agawam, Mass. to Elysburg, PA. I had roughly three hours in front of me, plenty of time since the park didn't open till noon. My brother Carl and his husband Marcus would be arriving at the Harrisburg Airport this afternoon and would join me at Hershey Park the next day. Because of timing, I had to choose between visiting Knobles and Dorney Park, as both are just over an hour's drive from Hershey. While Dorney looks like a nice smaller cedar fair park home to a Morgan Hyper and a pair of strong B&Ms, there was no must-ride attraction that got me fired up to visit. Then given that they'll be adding the Northeast's first B&M dive coaster, Iron Menace, in 2024, I was hard-pressed to visit on this go-around since I didn't have a cedar fair pass at the time. Knobles, on the other hand, has a stellar reputation in the enthusiast community. The park first appeared on my radar screen as a budding coaster enthusiast in the late 90s when the Phoenix was featured on one of those Discovery Channel theme park specials. I remember park owner Dick Knobel being interviewed saying, we should only charge half price because you're only in your seat half the time. Phoenix still ranks among the top wood coasters in the world today, and it was by far my most anticipated ride in the park. Then there's Twister, Knobel's recreation of the defunct Mr. Twister from Elitch Gardens in Denver. Then everybody raves about the unique atmosphere in the park, its antique flat rides, and the food. Knobel's has been a bucket list park for me for so long, and today would finally be the day. I just hope it stops raining. I drove along I-84 West, crossing from New York into Pennsylvania. I passed through Scranton and wished I could stop into the office of Dunder Mifflin to say hi to Michael Scott and the gang. It's an easy highway drive through the countryside, and as I continue, the ride gets more mountainous. I exited the highway along the banks of the Susquehanna River, and it was time to leave the beaten path. I wound around two-lane mountain roads passing through two small villas. The rain became heavier as I maneuvered through these twisted narrow roads. 
It's always wonderful to get away from the city, and Knobles is about as remote a park as I've been to. I finally turned left onto Knobles Parkway, and the rain stopped. There's not much to see until I crested a hill and was greeted by a massive blue cobra roll with screaming yellow supports front and center. I was surprised that my first view of the park was its modern steel coaster. I made my way along a ridge and turned right into the parking lot, and it's huge. Several large group pavilions are situated on the left, and I pulled off the paved section and parked my vehicle in the grass. Knobles does not charge for parking or park admission. You have the option of paying per ride or buying an all-day wristband. I opted for the latter and pre-purchased my wristband online for $50, a great value for a day's entertainment. I entered the park beside the Impulse roller coaster that first greeted me. It's a zero-tower coaster with a vertical lift hill, vertical drop, and four inversions. It's got a gift shop sporting its logo in neon to the right, and the park's main gift shop is to the left. As I walked in, there's no grand entrance, no gate, no sign. I'm just here. It feels like a county fair mixed with a campground as I wandered down Knobles Boulevard. There were some flat rides on that entry path that were definitely carnival rides, with seemingly temporary fences around them and truck tires visible as they were movable attractions. The crystal pool sits empty to the left. I'm sure this expansive watering hole gets packed with kids on clear summer days. It even had a diving board, an homage to the years before lawyers and insurance companies made such simple fun a liability most properties currently avoid. Signs directed me to one of the park's outbuildings inside and to the right where the pay-one-price ride passes were sold. The park was pretty empty on this cloudy Tuesday, and I walked right up to the ticket booth. An older lady scanned the QR code on my phone and gave me my wristband for the day. This place has the feel of an old family business where people have worked here their entire lives. It's a unique vibe, and I like it. My first order of business before getting on any ride was to get lunch. I was hungry after the drive to get here, and as I wandered through the grove, I found the roast beef stand where I ordered roast beef over mashed potatoes smothered in gravy. It was a great departure from typical theme park food, and at $9, I felt like I'd gotten my money's worth. With a full belly, I was ready to ride the Phoenix, but where was it? Knobles is a tangled mass of narrow pathways, and it's got a lush tree covering so the roller coasters aren't visible. That's fine, and I was content to wander the park until I came upon it. There's a creek that crosses through the middle of the park, and markers on some of the buildings indicate how high its waters have risen in past years. Apparently flooding isn't uncommon in this area. I crossed a pedestrian bridge and continued towards the back of the park, and there it was. The Phoenix has its own midway, and music from a Wurlitzer band organ floods the area. The coaster station and lift hill stand tall amidst the midway's many plantings. I entered the queue and showed my wristband to an attendant sitting in a booth. There was absolutely no line and I walked right into the station. They were only running one train, but that was plenty. I think I only waited one cycle before boarding the back row, and many of the middle rows were empty. This roller coaster opened in 1947 as the Rocket at Playland Park in San Antonio, Texas. The double out-and-back wood coaster designed by Herbert Schmeck and built by Philadelphia Toboggan Company unfortunately closed in 1980. Knobles bought the ride and it opened in 1985 as the Phoenix. This roller coaster that rose from the ashes of the rocket continues to be named the best wood coaster on the planet in the Golden Ticket Awards, and I was now on board. The ride's restraints are what make it special. You sit in a three-row PTC train with only a buzz bar holding you in place. Most wood coasters operating these trains today feature PTC's ratcheting lap bars which contact the rider's thigh, making them much more secure. Buzz bars are a single-position lap bar which, when closed, rests at about the same height as the train's side bolsters. They get their name from the electronic buzz sound made when they're opened and closed. 
The Phoenix operates with only these buzz bars and no seatbelts, giving riders freedom of motion found on very few roller coasters today. With such a simple restraint, the train is checked and dispatched in seconds. I rolled out of the station and entered something I wasn't expecting, a completely pitch-black tunnel before engaging the lift. As we clicked upward, I noticed the coaster's paint scheme. Watching videos of the ride, I always thought it was bare wood, but it's actually painted or maybe stained a dark green, and it looks great. I had the back row to myself, and as the train approached the top of the lift, I had beautiful views of the park and surrounding mountains. Then down we went. It's a good first drop, but nothing special. The ride climbs up and engages a flat turn to the left with some decent laterals before dropping again. The Phoenix flies over two small speed hills crossing under the lift structure, and I did get a couple of nice pops of airtime, and the track work couldn't be smoother. We head upward again and turn right above the station, then careen over the ride's signature double up and double down. Again, I was gently lifted off my seat. You reverse course again at the end of the layout and enter the grand finale. It's four rapid-fire bunny hills in a row, and the airtime here is stronger still. We turned right, entered the brakes, and rolled back into the station. So, Phoenix was good. The airtime was decent, as were the laterals. It's clear that the park takes incredible pride in maintaining this roller coaster. It tracks absolutely perfectly. Still, I was expecting more given the hype surrounding this ride. But I had a sneaking suspicion the front would be better. With no line, I walked right around again and rode in the second row, and what an improvement. You get air coming into the turnarounds, and the Bunny Hill finale was wicked. I talked about stand-up airtime on Pipeline the Surf Coaster at SeaWorld Orlando being a new experience, but you could say that the Phoenix has had it all along. Because you're so free in the seats with the buzz bars, it almost feels like the ride is trying to make you stand up. It's a completely unique sensation, and I loved it. This was early in the park's operating hours on a cooler day with minimal crowds, and the train was only about half full. I could only imagine what this ride must be like in peak summer on a hot day with a full load. I exited back onto the midway and headed over to Twister. This coaster has a very imposing presence perched alongside a hill above the pool and water slides. The trains rocket through the double helix that revolves around the station in queue. It's an impressive sight with all brand new wood track on the ride's namesake element. Following the success of Phoenix, Knobles sought to rescue another beloved wood coaster from the wrecking ball. This time it was Mr. Twister at Elitch Gardens in Denver, Colorado. The park was forced to move to a different property, but it wasn't able to bring its signature ride along. Moving Mr. Twister would turn out to be cost prohibitive, and it wouldn't fit in the land Knobles had to work with, so the park bought the original plans and modified them to fit the park's footprint. Twister was built completely in-house and opened in 1999. The major modification was splitting the lift hill into two sections with the first part running beneath the second with a sharp turnaround in between. The ride experience from the top of the second lift hill to the final brake run is said to be the same as the original coaster. The queue winds upward through the structure, and like Phoenix, there were only a handful of guests in the station. The ride's boarding platform doesn't even feature air gates, just two railings on either side of riders waiting for their selected row. Twister's train is made up of PTC two-bench cars with ratcheting lap bars but no seatbelts. I walked onto the back row, and again, within seconds, we were off. You leave the station and drop beneath the double helix track and turn right into the first chain lift. As you look up, you see the second lift directly above, but it travels in the opposite direction. As you reach the top, you make a slight left and build some speed before a sharp right-hand turn into the second chain. It's a very tight turnaround, and you get slammed to the right with some serious laterals before the coaster really gets started. It's just a taste of what's to come. You carry enough speed to make it almost halfway up the second lift before engaging the chain and the entire park is visible to the left. 
At its peak, you make another turnaround, and the laterals are strong here, too. Then it's an 89-foot drop with a great head chopper at the bottom before rising into another lateral-laden turnaround. You catch some air on the descent, then get pegged to the right as the train circumnavigates the station twice in that gnarly double helix. That new track work rides like a dream, but you still know you're riding a wood coaster, and it's awesome. You rise up into a small camelback and get some floater before turning right through the structure of the first drop. There's another pop of airtime before the ride enters its turning tunnel, followed by another bunny hop before the brake run. Twister is a lateral beast. It's a perfect complement to Phoenix's relatively straightforward airtime-driven layout. It's definitely more intense and sublimely disorienting. Knobles has an outstanding 1-2 woodcoaster punch, and there's still a third that's even more unusual. Flying Turns is the world's only operating wooden bobsled coaster. It's located in the center of the park, and it took me a minute to find the entrance. There are a couple of little enclaves designated as viewing areas where you can watch the ride in action, but because of the nature of the ride's trough system, it's not an easy ride to watch. The coaster's sign reads, Flying Turns, a trackless roller coaster. They told us we couldn't build it, but we did anyway. Wooden bobsled coasters were common in the 1920s, with the last of the type disappearing in the 1970s. With Knobel's penchant for preservation, they undertook building one of their own in-house in 2007. The process took a great deal of trial and error. Track sections, or maybe I should say trough sections, had to be removed and reprofiled. The original trains ran the course too fast and needed to be redesigned. Flying turns didn't open to the public until October 2013, taking six years to perfect. As for me, I walked around the coaster a few times before finally finding the entrance. Flying Turns has a loose aviation theme. You begin the experience by passing through KSA, or Knobel Security Administration. Here you're weighed because there's a strict limit of 400 pounds per car, with each car able to accommodate up to two riders. I made my way into the queue beyond that, and it was slow moving. Flying Turns operates three trains comprising three cars, each seating one to two riders. It's a low-capacity machine to be sure. While the park was not busy, there was still about a 20-minute wait before I walked up the ramp into the station. There are more scales on the boarding platform, and riders are again weighed to make sure everybody's within the ride's limits. You're then assigned a boarding gate, or row, and it's finally time to take on the turns. I ended up in the back row with the car to myself. Single riders won't be assigned a partner since you have to straddle a padded bench and share a seatbelt. The car has aviation gauges built into the front, and there's a tail fin on the back of the train. After a quick check from the flight attendants, it was time to see what a wooden bobsled is all about. You exit the station and immediately engage the first of four lift hills. This one is pretty short, and you slowly meander through the ride's first 360-degree turn. The construction of this roller coaster is pretty amazing. Wood supports tower around the trough, which is perfectly smooth. It looks like a bowling alley curved into a U-shape. The trains are fascinating as well. They've got very intricate wheel assemblies with road wheels and side guides designed to fit the ride's unique profile. At the bottom of that first helix, you enter the second chain. This one takes the train to its maximum height of 50 feet. As you leave the lift, the train picks up speed almost immediately. You sway up and down the sides of 10 turns in a row, each one in the opposite direction. Flying turns has a max speed of 24 miles an hour, but it feels way faster as you fly under and beside the ride's supports and the trough. The whole experience is so much fun, and it's smooth as riding a bowling ball down the center of a lane. At the end of the course, the ride enters its third lift hill and passes the maintenance and storage shed. 
There's one final brief lift which was added after the ride opened to ensure every train returns to the station. So this ride is just so cool. It's not intense at all, but it's an incredible testament to Knobel's resolve to start a challenging project and see it through to completion. The park used modern technology to bring an extinct ride type back for us to enjoy today, and I give them massive kudos for that. I'm sure the park's target family demographic absolutely loves this roller coaster, and I was happy to have a chance to ride it. I then left flying turns and returned to the front of the park. I was heading for Impulse, the zero looping coaster that greeted me as I approached the parking lot. I waited a cycle or two before boarding. The trains feature four across seating and a single lap bar restraint. Kinda like a Gerstlauer Eurofighter, but this ride looks a little more grown up. You turn right as you leave the station and gradually approach the 98-foot vertical lift hill. You then plummet straight down with a great stomach-in-your-throat moment before entering that cobra roll. It's nice and smooth with just a lap bar, and you then soar through the vertical loop which delivers some nice hang time. It's good fun but business as usual for a looping coaster. You make an S-turn, then rise up into a 360-degree helix passing over and under the ride's other supports. Then you enter a slow-moving heartline roll with some excellent hang time before a G-force-filled helix leading into the brakes. Impulse is a perfect addition to Knobles. It's an excellent looping steel coaster that fills that gap in the park's coaster lineup. It's the one that kids will be scared to ride and work up the confidence to challenge after mastering Phoenix and Twister. For an enthusiast, it's nothing special, but it's still a fun roller coaster that I honestly can't complain about, which is a plus for this style of ride. I left Impulse and had one more roller coaster credit left, Black Diamond. This enclosed hybrid dark ride is located right next to Phoenix and the log flume at the back of the park. The ride was built by PTC in 1960 and operated at Dinosaur Beach in Wildwood, New Jersey until 1998 when it lay dormant for 10 years. Knobles purchased it and it opened in 2011, complete with a mining theme and show scenes. I was the only person in the queue and I had the entire car to myself. Black Diamond rode like a classic dark ride even though it's a relatively new addition to the park. The scenes are quirky depictions of an old mine shaft and it was fun. I left Black Diamond knowing I'd gotten all the coaster credits and decided to wander the park, take in the atmosphere, and enjoy some of their classic flat rides. There are so many interesting buildings on the property. Many are available for guests to rent and stay within the park boundaries. That fairground camping vibe at Knobles is unlike any park I've visited. As I meandered through the groves, I happened upon the flyer. It's a flying scooter attraction and I haven't done one of these in ages. It's an old amusement park swinging ride where the cars have sails that the rider controls to be able to soar as high as the chains will allow as the ride rotates. This one is special because it looks like it's driven by an old tractor with its wheels removed, its internal combustion engine connected to the ride's center. As each cycle begins, the attendant walks to the middle of the ride and starts the engine. He then progressively increases the RPMs to get the scooters up to their max speed. This is so cool and incredibly old school. I was trying to figure out what was powering this thing. Was it gas? Diesel? Nope, as evidenced by the large white tanks by the engine, it's powered by propane. After a few cycles, I took my own seat on one of the flyers. The sail in front of me is covered in canvas to allow me to catch the wind. The flyer sputtered to life, and with every few rotations, the ride spun faster as the operator opened the throttle. It took me a bit to get the swing going with the sail, but I was soon coming as close as the chains would permit to clipping the surrounding trees, and it was such a joy. I felt like Maverick, flying higher and more recklessly than I should, but then the operator slowed the contraption to a crawl, and it was time to disembark. 
I don't normally stop at these old-time attractions, even where they exist, because in most parks I'm so preoccupied with riding all the roller coasters. Knobles is different. These classic attractions are every bit a part of the experience as the coasters themselves. Somehow I was hungry again, and I wandered back across the creek to the grove area and grabbed a piece of Knobles' famous pizza. It's a kind of handmade pan style with tons of gooey cheese and a thick bready crust. I rarely eat pizza at theme parks, but this was pretty darn good. I was at the front of the park again, and decided to ride the bumper cars. Knobles' scooter ride operates 1940s-era loose auto scooter bumper cars. They're big, they're all metal, and they're heavy, which means the crashes are all the more thrilling. Their weight also gives them an ability to skid side to side more than most modern fiberglass bumper cars, so if you whack your opponent just right, you can send them spinning out into the side of the course. While the attendant is careful to repeatedly announce that head-on collisions are prohibited, there are always those one or two people who don't pay attention and end up going the wrong direction. The scooters were just bonkers fun as each rider takes on that maniacal grin trying to whack you harder than the last, all while the smell of ozone and graphite fill the air. The popular opinion among enthusiasts is that these are the best bumper cars out there, and I can't help but agree. Next, I opted for a ride on Whipper. If you've never ridden one of these, you ride in a car attached to a chain running around two sprockets in an oval shape. The cars roll comfortably along a smooth floor on the straight sections, but as they turn at the end, they whip around 180 degrees at a high speed, hence the ride's name. I was one of only a few people on this ride when I rode, but it's a beautifully maintained blast from the past. And of course I couldn't visit Knobles without riding the Grand Carousel. It was built in 1913 and is one of the largest carousels in the world with 63 horses and 3 chariots. The details and paintwork on the horses and the wooden structure are magnificent, and like every other attraction in the park, it's immaculately maintained. Perhaps the most famous aspect of the carousel is that riders on the outer row get to try their hands at grabbing the brass ring. They hang from a mechanical arm that extends outward while the ride is in motion. It took me a couple tries before I successfully snagged one, then the next challenge was to throw the ring into the lion's mouth. That part was tough and I was never able to hit my target, but this extra bit of sport added to the fun of the ride. I was approaching the end of my time at Knobles as I planned to meet up with Carl and Marcus for dinner. I still wanted to ride each of the wood coasters one more time. I went to Phoenix first, opting to ride in the middle but towards the front this time. It was a great ride, and I got more of that stand-up airtime, particularly on the final bunny hills. Then I returned to Twister for a front row ride, and it was nearly identical to the back. The laterals are what makes this coaster, and the airtime wasn't dramatically different. I'll call this one a back row ride by a slim margin. So now the big question, which is better? Both are excellent wood coasters, but I actually preferred Twister this day because it had more varied sensations, a longer ride experience, unbeatable visuals, and an overall more intense layout. Don't get me wrong, I loved Phoenix too, I just think Twister is more of a complete package so there's my hot take. I started making my way towards the exit and I think I need to come back. It was a quiet late summer weekday with mediocre weather and I visited the park solo. While I love checking out the park's amazing ride collection, I could only imagine the magic of being here on a warm summer night, with the park's lights and sounds contrasting against the darkness of the Susquehanna River Valley. I think coming here with fellow enthusiasts and nerding out on the classic rides would be next level. That's something I'll have to look into for a future trip. 
I left Knobles in my rear view and settled into my drive, which would take me just over an hour to reach the Marriott Fairfield at the Harrisburg International Airport, only about 20 minutes from Hershey Park. Carl and Marcus were already checked in when I arrived at my home base for the next three nights. We got dinner at the Millworks Restaurant and Brewery in downtown Harrisburg. It was one of these modern American kind of places, and we enjoyed craft beer and artisanal comfort food. I had meatloaf and mashed potatoes, an unusual choice for me, but it was delicious. We returned to the hotel and retired for the evening, preparing for an epic first visit to Hershey Park in the morning. Join me for the next episode when we visit my current number one bucket list park. It's home to three world-class Intamins, a brand new RMC hybrid conversion, and oh yeah, a three-year-old B&M Hyper. The conclusion of the Intamin trip is coming at you from Hershey, PA, next time on Coaster Redux. That's a wrap for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please help me out by reviewing, sharing, and subscribing. You can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Coaster Redux. Thank you for listening to Coaster Redux. Until next time, enjoy the ride.